Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church. How are you today? Great to be with you. Uh, I just want to say hi to everyone who is um, watching online, and also if you're visiting. I met some some people this morning who are have come out of town for spring break. Welcome to Victoria. Welcome to Coastline Church. It's uh, it's a privilege to have you. My name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here, and it really is our delight. I hope you feel blessed so far, just from our team, from welcome, from coffee to worship, and hopefully uh, I can continue on in that great Sunday we're all having. It was. Um, it was my heart, and it was Andy's heart, and even as Pastor Luke said in that second song, to really begin to look towards Easter. Um, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, Easter is a big deal. Christmas and Easter, right? Like, these two are a big deal. And I really believe that even for, no, no, no matter how long it is that you have been following Jesus, uh, or coming to church, or anything like that, I really believe that this Easter season can be different for you. And what I mean by different is just there can be a newfound joy and excitement and enlightenment, a gratitude towards the cross, towards Easter, towards the beautiful resurrection. And so I'm, I'm excited for that, this Easter season, to really focus in on Jesus as Savior. And I think the way we do that is not just kind of like gearing up for Easter Sunday, Good Friday is going to be beautiful, and it'll be kind of like reddish tones because the blood of Jesus and flower. I don't know, I'm guessing. Oliver's much better at that. Like, I'll, leave it, I'll leave it to him. But, you know, it'll be like very wonderful and somber yet also exciting. You know, and then we're going to have Easter Sunday. It's going to be full of life and sunrise service. Come on, somebody. Anyone else going to join me there? Just me. 12 of us. Good. No, 12 of us at 5.45 in the morning. I just want to encourage you that maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's more than Good Friday and Easter Sunday and ham with this family and turkey on Monday, whatever it is. Maybe, it's, maybe there's something more tangible, more powerful this season. And I think the way we do that is not just looking at the cross, but we actually look at every footstep that Jesus laid on the way to the cross. Because it, I find it really interesting. While the resurrection from the cross right, shows us the divinity of Jesus, the road to the cross really exemplifies the humanity of Jesus. And it's on the cross that we see both. It's on the cross that those two things kind of clash, where we see the humanity in the death, but the power in his divinity in the resurrection. And so in, specifically in the book of John, you're going to see this, although the theme in John is the deity, of, that, that Jesus is the deity of God, the Son of God, that there is power there, we see this humanity, this real other side of Jesus in the two weeks, the Passion Week leading up to the cross. And so our heart um, for, for you in this next season, these next couple of weeks as we go to Easter, is to walk alongside, if you will, the road that led Jesus to the resurrection. The road to the cross, which shows us the humanity of Jesus, the ups, the downs, the heaviness, the worry, the anger, the excitement, the moments where he withdraws and he's by himself, the moments he goes with his disciples, and all of those places. Because I, I think I recognize, as I've, I've kind of already read through it a bunch, and I'm seeing this kind of path that he took, and even you saw in that bumper the, the different places he goes, the different moments that happen, the road that we walk is not always the path we want. Like, I'm sure everyone would agree that if you look back at your life that has led you to today, to this moment, at 11.32, right here at Coastline Church, you'd say, you know what, there's a few things I, I'd be okay to forget. 
There's a, there's a few things I'd be okay to relive. Those were good moments. There's a few paths, or like path, this part of the pathway, I didn't, didn't love that. That was hard. Life is not just one easy linear line. There's ups, there's downs, and Jesus walked it too, and I think he knew this. I really do. His mission was clear. He predicted his death. He knew what was coming. The mission was clear, but I wonder if maybe he was aware of how, aware of the plan, but maybe not completely aware of the extent of the pain. And I see every step that he walks along the road to the resurrection really shows this beautiful side of Jesus. And even brings us a parallel for ourselves. That we, again, that we know that the road we walk is not always easy. That there is hardship along the way, and that's what makes the road Jesus walks so powerful as it comes beside us. As he comes beside us. I'll never forget this time, um, me and my wife, it was, our fir- it was the first baby moon we ever went on, and we went to Arizona, and uh, baby moons. Those are like a thing of today, aren't they? Like no one did, I don't know. We, we, went on, we went to Arizona, we had family there, and uh, Trina it was 20 weeks pregnant, and we were going to Arizona, we took some time to go to Sedona together. Now here's the thing, if, if you want a fun, ex- like exciting, like passionate person to travel with, you don't want me. Like, I'm not that. I'm constantly scared, never certain what's around the corner. I arrive at the airport seven hours early every time. Like, you want someone loud and obnoxious on a microphone? Ah, right here. You want someone fun and exciting to travel with? Right there. Her name is Trina Bonnet. She is a lot more fun than me. And it's true. Like we, so we go to Sedona, and honestly, she'll tell you the truth. The one thing I wanted out of this little getaway to Sedona was this breakfast burrito. Do you remember those breakfast? We never actually had them, but I really wanted them. And that's why I chose the hotel that we stayed at, because it had apparently the best breakfast burrito in all of Arizona. Never had it, but that's the one reason I wanted to go to Sedona. Breakfast burritos. Party guy, right? Awesome. And Trina's like, it's like, she's like planning out the trip and she's like, you know, we, we could do like a helicopter tour. We could, I'm like, a helicopter tour? Do you want to meet our child? Like, I, like, and, but we went and she was like, like, we, like, she found the guy and he's like, like, he was in the military. And so we just, the first day we arrive, check in. She's, we find a helicopter, we go, and she's like in the front seat, and we're like going under rock. And I'm like, get me out of here. This is fun. Please, Lord, you know. And then the next morning, we should wake up and we wanted to do a hike. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's, that's safe and easy. Like, let's do a hike. We're, you know, we're in Sedona. It's that beautiful kind of red rock and like kind of, you know, Grand Canyon vibes. So we go on this walk. We start on this path. We went to the hotel. What's an easy one? Like, I wanted like two miles or less. And she's like, oh, you could go. There's one beautiful hike. It's called the Devil's Bridge. Like, <laughs> sounds awesome. Let's do that. I was young in my ministry, forgive me, church. I did not know what our, where we were headed. So we, we do this hike. We, we park the car, we start walking. And I, I, from what I remember, like we, we're walking and the path is fine. And then we, we kind of, there's a few ways you can kind of go. And there's not a lot of signage. And I remember walking down this, like, it felt like I sh- this should have been a river. Like the rocks were hard. The path was not easy. I'm like, I don't know if this is the right way. We walked one kilometer, two kilometer, three kilometer. Five, six, we have not seen any bridge, no devil, nothing. We haven't even seen people. Now, again here, this is awesome husband move. I brought one granola bar and, and the little water bottle that's like they give you at the hotel. It's a Dasani. It's like this big for my wife who's 20 weeks pregnant. And she's just trucking through. Isn't this great? I'm like, we're going to die. Like, no. And I... I it was like maybe seven kilometers in, and we finally see someone that kind of directs us towards the hike. So 
What the hotel concierge didn't let us know was that it's a seven kilometer hike in to the Devil's Bridge, which is two kilometers straight up and down. And I'm like, we should turn back. And Trina's like, we should go forward. I'm like, who did I marry, right? And we did it. It was awesome. It was fun. And, and, and we, we went through it and had a lot of fun. And then on the way back, we get kind of lost again. Because again, the path is not always easy. Like, there's lots of ways you can go. I, I, like, we struggled getting back. Like, we, we kind of hit this point where we realized we'd been walking for over 10 kilometers. It is now noon. It is now very hot. It is June in Arizona. We have no water and we have no food. <laughs> and I remember us walking and, and really not sure where we were. We had not seen anyone in a while. And, and one of us looked back and I think my, Trina was like, oh, look, like, is that, what is that, a dog? And like, that's, they are part of the canine family. That is a coyote. And it is smelling my fear and it is following us. And I kid you not, we would have to do shoulder checks all the time being like, it's a little bit closer, let's walk a little bit faster. And for the last two kilometers back, we had a coyote trailing us knowing I didn't want to be there. I just wanted to sit by a pool with a burrito, you know? And so I remember the last little bit, we started like honking the horn to the rental car, waiting for it to go off. And I was like walking backwards and Trina was walking forwards. And I was like, take me, not our child. Like, it really was a little bit freaky. It really was not a fun, I haven't hiked since. We haven't hiked since. <laughs> People always laugh at that. It's not like I have not hiked. This is, this is real, this is trauma. Thank you for laughing at my expense. The path we walk is not always the road we want to walk. And life is full of, of, of misturns and missigns and in pathways that we don't expect to find ourselves in. Maybe a coyote doesn't always trail us, but there's moments where you're like, how did I get here? How am I in this situation now to this point? Why did that take place? Why did that take place? And if you, if you see Jesus along the way to the cross, you see him in these really challenging moments. Consider this, because we may not get to it in our sermon series, that Jesus would predict his betrayer and even show, it, like, show his disciples Judas in that moment at the Last Supper. Having to tell your best friend, I know you love me, but you are going to deny me three times. After the, what we read today, which is really kind of the climax and the, the, the moment that pushes Jesus towards the cross, like everything really is downhill from here. The next chunk of scripture, we're going to be in John 11 today. Right after that, you're going to see the plot to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Like everything changes from this moment. And I'm very aware that I don't know every circumstance in this room, but I know that every life has walked a path to get you to this point. And I'm sure there's been hardship, but we can resonate with the story of Jesus because of his humanity on the road to the resurrection. And so I want us to really, to really take a look at this together. And I love the book of John. You know this. And so we are going to be in John. 90% unique compared to the rest of the Gospels. In this, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke use the word, the kingdom of God, you know, kingdom over a hundred times. And John only kind of uses that word five or six, but one word that John uses a lot more than any other gospels combined is the word life. And I want you to see that in this scripture, life. Church, we are a church that says there is life here. And along that road, there might be some hardship, but there is life too. So let's read this together. John 11, starting right in verse one. We're gonna get through some scripture today, friends. Are you ready? Are you ready? Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Mar her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Mary, excuse me, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse six, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then his disciples said, let us go back to, excuse me, then he said to his disciples, they didn't say it, he said it, let us go back to Judea. Like, I need you to see something here. This is important. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now, if you are new to the Bible or new to the Christian faith, that feels a little contradictory, doesn't it? Out of his love for this family, and this is a family he knew well, stayed with them often. This is like close family friends. It's like that person you call auntie, but it's not auntie. Okay, it's like that kind of that kind of friendly, like family vibe. He knows them. He loves them. He is close to them. And the Bible says that when he heard the news of his good friend, who was sick. He did not move, and he stayed where he was for two more days. That is challenging to read. That's not easy. You would think, like, well, why didn't he get up and go and, and fight for him? And go, why didn't he get there? We're going to read further and, and really understand the story. But, friends, it, it, it is clear that Jesus prolonged the sorrow of Mary and Martha. And that might be hard to hear this morning. It's hard to read this morning. I don't know how else to read it. Jesus, it seems to deliberately wait to bring Lazarus back from the dead until he was in the tomb for four days. And even some disagree. With travel, it may even be longer. But for sure, he waited at least another two days. Jesus, it's interesting, he promises to, f- to fulfill their request, but he doesn't tell them when. And I know, again, it's challenging to hear, but if I can, we're gonna go there anyways. Church, he may make a promise to you, but it's in his timing. He promises to fulfill the request. He says, listen, this is going to glorify God. This will not end in death. But he doesn't say when. He doesn't say when. And I think we need to remember that that delay and denial are not the same thing. And someone needs to hear this morning that delaying a miracle, your miracle, delaying maybe that prayer request that you have prayed does not mean he is denying that miracle or denying that prayer request. And I know it's hard. I'm not, make, I'm not saying it's any easier, but delay and denial are two different things. In fact, delayed gratification is better for our souls than we can ever truly know. That the Bible tells us again and again and again to wait on the Lord. Not hurry him up. Not beg and beg and beg, but to truly just wait. Church, especially if, if you consider maybe yourself a skeptic in here, can I just make the argument that a God of instant gratification is not a God at all? It's a butler. It's a vending machine. It's true, right? It's a hard thing to understand and unpack. And maybe it makes some of you emotional just considering it, but a God who instantly grants your every request is not a God at all. And in fact, the concept that God would wait and understand and we would know that his timing, that his love for you, that his plan for you, that the road you have walked has intentionality behind it and it matters for now and it matters for your future is actually a God worth following and worth serving, not one who instantly answers every single thing you ask for. If I answered every single thing Bo has asked of me, my goodness, he might not be alive, you know, like... I used to always think that, man, I wonder why doesn't God do more miracles? Why don't we see more of this? It's John Piper who writes, there were fewer miracles in the Bible than maybe you realize because of how compact it is, and I think there's a lot more miracles today than you probably know. I think he's accurate in that. 
I think we often will quote something like Philippians 1.6 to justify, you know, like, but, but he said he's gonna complete what he promises, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We read that, we say that, we quote it. It's on our Instagram. The, that verse says, he who began a good work in you. Not externally, he's saying, that's about the gospel. That's about the transformative power that's happening in your heart, not the miracle you're praying for. And I just want to, again, encourage you. Not, not discourage you, but encourage you. There's a deliberate delay here. Why? So that more people could know Jesus. That's the real reason in this, in this context, in this scripture, so that more people would come around them in a time of grief and see God's resurrection power. I don't know why there's a delay sometimes. But I, know, I do know that delaying is not denying I just, uh, some people, even some from the church have been sending me stories of, of the earthquake in Syria and in Turkey because we've been praying for it on Tuesdays. We, we do not hold back on Tuesdays. We pray big, bold, faith-filled prayers for you, church, every Tuesday at noon. And I just, I heard this one story of a girl who was under rubble for six days alone. Alone, completely by herself. And when they finally found her and pulled her out of everything, there was not a scratch on her. She was completely safe, and they said, you must be starving, you must be so thirsty, how is it that you're okay? No food or water for six days? She said, no, 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 I had someone bring me food and water every day, it was a man in white. They checked her whole body from head to toe, and all the protein, all the nutrients she needed, her body was in complete, perfect state of health. A few days later, same story of a boy who was over eight years old, and he was in the rubble for eight days, and he said the exact same thing. I don't know what you're talking about. A man in white came and fed me, gave me water every single day. I'm full. There are miracles happening around you, church. There are miracles in this church, people who were meant for dead and actually are now alive. There are prayers being answered. There are homes being found. I'm so grateful to know many of your stories, and we could point them out, and you could raise your hand and say, I can testify that my miracle may have took a little bit longer than I'd hoped for. It may have not come in the way I expected, but my God showed up. Delaying a miracle or prayer is not denying that miracle or prayer, and it's important that we remember that. If we keep reading, it says this, verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you want to go back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Everyone said, amen. Nap time, sorry. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, friends, Lazarus is dead. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Excuse me, sorry. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. That's interesting. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. So that now you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Just really quick as we jump, keep jumping because there's a lot of scripture Jesus is saying, listen, there's enough time to get where we need to go. Don't worry, we're gonna be fine, we're gonna be safe. It's interesting, Thomas, who doubts Jesus after the cross, here shows a great amount of faith. 
His Hebrew name, Thomas. His Greek name, Didymus. Didymus meaning twin. Much of church history uh, tells us that, that Thomas looked a lot like Jesus. And so this is kind of a, a loyal friend moment of like, well, we're gonna die, we might as well go now. It's gonna be me. He's kind of like, I'm ready to go, whatever it takes. But in this, we see here where the disciples are saying, if only you were there. But Jesus is saying, listen, it's a good thing. I wasn't there. Why? So that you may believe. See, again, all of this comes back to who? To Lazarus? No, this miracle is more than than just Lazarus. It's about the people who are going to show up. You're going to see it right here. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. There it is. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know, I know, he will rise at the resurrection of the last day. Again, similar to the disciples and everyone else, it's like, if you only you were here, Jesus, if only you had heard my prayer, if only you had come, Verse 25, chapter 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I want to read that again. Maybe you need to close your eyes and just receive. This is the word of God. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And honestly, as I was preparing, I had to keep scratching out Martha's name almost and putting mine. Lucas, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Trina, I am the resurrection and the life. Brendan, Grace, like I, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe Believe this. He's calling us out. He's reminding us of his power. He didn't say, he didn't say I have resurrection power. He didn't philosophize about life and pretend to make statements, general sweeping claims. He didn't claim to have the resurrection in life. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am that I am. Instead, Jesus dramatically, he literally dramatically says, I am all that you need. To know Jesus is to know resurrection power. And to have Jesus is to have eternal life. Church, this is the truth. This is the power. And again, we see the humanity. We see the interactions with people. We see the challenge. But he says, I'm the resurrection life and anyone who believes in me will live. He's foreshadowing to John 14, 14 that says, I live, therefore you shall live. I bring life where there is death. I bring a resurrection power where there is the grave. I am changing how you see the end. I'm changing how you see the grave. I'm changing how you view whatever miracle you need that's in front of you. In this statement, church, to Martha, he is claiming to be the champion of death. Sin and death are linked. If you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you will see that the consequences of sin is death. We see this again and again in the scripture, that that something changed, morality, pain, hardship. And now Jesus is saying, guess what? 
Sin and death do not get the last word. I do. Jesus gets the last word, church. Jesus gets the last word. He has the last word. He's saying that it's not sin, it's not death, it's me. 1 Corinthians 15, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is what? Is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, death cannot kill a believer. It only ushers them into a freer life. That was Spurgeon. And he's saying, listen, even in the bitterness of death, God offers the most beautiful solution. And Jesus wants to take the hardest moments that you're walking through and resurrect them. Jesus wants to take the most challenging moments you've ever faced and say, where there is death, I breathe life. I don't know what you're going through today. Maybe you've lost someone. Maybe this, this really hits home because you have truly lost a loved one. Maybe it's a financial crisis. Maybe it's an attack from someone, a broken relationship. It's loneliness. Jesus has the last word. Divorce, that's not the last word in your life and in your relationships. Jesus gets the last word. Bro- brokenness is not the last word that marks your soul, friends. Burden? No, no, no. The breakthrough and freedom of Jesus, he gets the last word. He gets the last word in every relationship, in your career, that job, that dream, hopeful career that you want so bad. Jesus gets the last word. It is finished. Those three words are the last things that were said on the cross. Not he is gone or he is dead. It is finished. Victory for you and for me. Life, resurrection, power. And this is why it matters, church. This is why I want us to look to Easter now because there is so much beauty in everything that we see on the road to the resurrection. Even in death, like real death right now, there is heaven. Are you understanding that even in the hardest moments, there is eternity. Death doesn't get the last word. Amen? Jesus does. After she said this in verse 28, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here. That's interesting. Right? They just had this moment, this encounter, where she's, he's, he's propelling her. He's saying, please, Martha, hear me out. I think I actually didn't, I didn't finish reading that. She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God. But now she's saying, the teacher. Now he's just rabbi, not Messiah. It's interesting how she changes her words here. The teacher is here and, and, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had just met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is the third time. Disciples, Martha, Mary, everyone is asking, why weren't you here? Where were you? When Jesus saw her weeping, and then the Jews who had come alongside also were also weeping, he was deeply moved in, in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them again said, could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also kept this man from dying? Fourth time. The Jews who are helping them mourn, Martha, Mary, and the disciples, have all asked the same question. Where were you? 
I can see it. I can relate to it. I've asked the same question before. And Jesus is trying his best to, yes, be compassionate and, and, and empathize with everyone. But again, church, there's a greater mission here. There are people who do not yet believe in Jesus. And Lazarus' death and now resurrection are about to lay testimony to that belief and really become something so much greater. And I, Jesus wept. We have to talk about that. It's this thing that's, I know for many of us, we're like, why, why did he truly weep? And I think the general answer is usually just his compassion for people in that moment. His love for Martha, his love for Mary, his love for this family. And I do believe that. And I just want to say, I wrote this in my notes this morning because I felt like that God put it in my heart, and so it's not going to be up here. But I just want to say, I believe the Savior's tears dignify ours. And I know there's people in here who have probably cast a lot of tears over specific things and areas of life that feel like they cannot be resurrected or changed or transformed. And I just want to let you know that he sees your tears and he weeps as well. I do believe that. I do believe that's a, that's a really important part here. He sees those moments where it's just been you on the floor and he dignifies your tears as your savior and he understands. Abraham wept when he buried Sarah. Jacob wept as he wrestled with God. Josiah wept over the sin of his nation. Hezekiah wept over his own personal illness. Friends, there is a season to weep. There's a season for tears. But I, again, our tears are different. Your tears, are, they end differently. Weeping may tarry for the night, but what does the psalm say? But joy comes in the morning. And when that morning comes, this is Revelation, death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for Jesus is there. For context sake, too, weeping in, in this context for Mary and Martha, this was like a Jewish custom. Like, they would gather people, and they would weep aloud. Like, hey, everyone, want to let you know we're going to cry over here in five minutes. Come with us. Like, that's really how, how like... I'm serious, they would have like this moment where they all grieved and they yelled and they wailed and they would scream and make these loud noises so everyone could know the grief. This was, this was a normal thing, but, but Jesus wept is different than them weeping. This is a moment of solidarity. This is a moment of eyes welling up, Jesus pausing, reflecting on what's happening and foreshadowing what is to come. Jesus wept is not just about compassion for people, it's that the weight of the cross has begun. That in this moment, he understands that giving Lazarus his life sealed his death. And that now he looks ahead to the cross. And again, I want to do that exercise of taking out Lazarus' name and putting in my own. That giving Lucas his life sealed his own death giving us our life, sealed his own death. And it's more than just compassion. On the road to the resurrection, this event changes not just how many people are witnessed, but it's the last straw for the Jews that they in fact want to kill him and Lazarus. You can read it in the next, if you just keep going in your Bible, you'll see the plot to kill Jesus is next. The weight of the cross has begun. Jesus knows it, but not before one last miracle. I know, I've been, I've been holding it back. It's coming, it's this moment. Are you ready? Final chunk of scripture together this morning. Jesus, once more, deeply moved. Okay, that's like a, a physical movement. That's, again, the start and the weight of the cross. Came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. 
But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And now I think he's a little bit more like, enough, I've heard it from all of you. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of who? All the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus meaning God is my helper. That's what his name means. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You see, the reason he waits four days is because in the Jewish tradition, a person is not completely dead until three days have passed. They kind of believe that, that their soul kind of almost lifts above them and at any point could be resuscitated in different ways. But at, at, after three days, they're fully dead. They're, they're, they're dead dead. And, it, and in that moment, they know that his soul is released. And Jesus purposefully waits until after that moment so that all the Jews who see this would think there's no possible way. He is dead, dead. There's no chance that Lazarus could come back from this. So he waits four days and shows everyone that has gathered that death no longer has the last word, that his power is real, that the resurrection power of Jesus is right there in front of them. And it's a foreshadow to come of the resurrection on the cross of him. Friends, this is the good news, amen? What I love, as we finish up together, there's something about the grave clothes that I find interesting. In John 20, if you jump ahead, you can read that when the disciples got to the tomb that morning, that the grave clothes were right there at the stone that Jesus had laid. And, and they were exactly where his dead body had been. And that's important. Because if they had been, you know, kicked off or pushed anywhere else, people would have thought, well, someone came in and released the linen cloth and all this stuff. But they had actually stayed in the exact position, tied up in the exact way when they were around Jesus. You can read about it in John 20. But when Lazarus gets up, he still has his grave clothes on. And I think for many of us, we read this story. And I... Church, I don't know how you can get more literal than this. I am the resurrection and the life. One of the seven I am statements from Jesus in the book of John leading to the cross. Meaning anything that feels dead in your life, I can bring back to life. Whatever you're going through, like the impossible made possible. And yet I think for many of us, we know and hear the story and the reality of Easter that there is a grace so wide and a love so deep. And we know it, we have it in our, in our minds and we understand the, the different texts. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I bring life and life to the full. We see all these things in the book of John and yet we're still walking around with grave clothes on. And we're similar to Lazarus here where we maybe have witnessed resurrection power. Oh, it's, oh I've, I have this really Christian friend. Man, when they pray, stuff happens. Not me. And that doubt, and that disbelief, and that pain, and that frustration, we just, we carry it. As I was walking down to the 9 a.m., I saw a first aid kit, and I just had to grab just some linen cloth as this symbol. You know, that we... 
that, that Lazarus would come out, it still would have been on his eyes. It would have been on his hands, and it would have been on his feet. And we walk around knowing that our God brings resurrection power, yet we for some reason hold on to the grave clothes. Friends, we sing a song at our church that says that death has no more hold on me, that, 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 that my chains are left right there in the dust, that I don't need to go back to the grave because grace holds the ground now. And yet for some reason, we walk around with grave clothes on, not understanding that at Easter everything changes, that there's resurrection life for your, for your marriage, that there's resurrection life for your kids, that nobody is too far gone from God. And so we hold on to these things assuming, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's traumatic, maybe it's, maybe it's that we're not sure how to get rid of it, and Jesus is saying, listen, lay it at the cross. That's what the cross is all about, that there's victory and freedom to not hold on to sin and shame. That's not the point. The point is that there is resurrection power, amen? That death doesn't have the last word, that sin has no hold on me. Look where my chains are now, that, that there is grace where the grave used to be, that yes, in our baptism shirts, it says dead, buried, raised, amen? And that the sin stays and the Savior takes care of that and we walk away free and, ex and, and, and full of the life and abundance and joy that the resurrection life our Savior brings into our reality, into our life every single day. And so church, kick off the grave clothes. Actually, he even asks other people to do it. And I think that's because sometimes we can't. We're so wrapped up that we can't take them off ourselves. And that's why the church exists. To run to one another and say, I see you holding on to that. And Christ says, I've, I've taken care of it. I nailed it to the cross. It's dead. It's buried. Rise again, church. Shine bright, church. See the power, church. Because everything changes from this moment on for Jesus. And I don't want to be, not a pastor or a church leader, I don't want to be Lucas wrapped up in grave clothes. I want to live free. I want to live bold. And I want to believe in the resurrection power and life of my Savior forever and ever. Amen? Amen. I don't get emotional. This isn't something we put on. This is something that's real because we see it. I see it. I saw it in kids this weekend at spring break camp. I see it in my own life sometimes where I know I'm holding on to something and Jesus has asked me to lay it down. So yes, let's know the love of Jesus this season, but let's claim the power of Jesus this season. Amen? Can I pray over you, church? Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you. As we, as we read and see the steps you took, the places you went on the road, to the cross. First and foremost, Jesus, we say thank you for the cross. Thank you for taking my place. Thank you for giving your life for me. Jesus, I pray in all seriousness and power that we would be people marked by your resurrection life. God, I know there's real pain here. I'm sure there's heaviness, maybe even the pain of something as heavy as death in family or friends. But Lord, with you, you get the last word. And so I pray in Jesus' name right now, you would remind every heart that you have the last word. It isn't finished until you say it is. 
No life is too far gone. No plan is too far away. No road too heavy, heavily walked. You set the tone, Jesus. So for every life in here, I pray there'd be a running back to you. For the people who still feel like they have grave clothes on, I pray in Jesus' name that the church and themselves, if they can, would begin to tear them off. I pray shame would be gone in this room in Jesus' name. I pray we would not hold on to anything that holds us back from you or our family or, our, or, or the people around us. But as we walk through the doors out of this church, the grave clothes would stay at the foot of the cross and that we would claim resurrection power and life. I pray for the families who are heavy burdened. Lift them up, Jesus. Encourage them. Bring them closer to you. I pray for the single person here who just feels alone. I pray, Jesus, you would run close to them and comfort their heart. For the person who feels like they missed out on something and it's never coming back. Lord, nothing is lost in your sight. Everything can be found. And so, Lord, as a church, right now we just claim resurrection power, transformative power, breakthrough power, and life, and life to the full over every marriage, over every heart, over every family in this house and all of our campuses. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, come on, everybody said, would you stand to your feet?